Listener Production. Before we start, a warning. What you're about to hear involves sexual abuse against children. Listener discretion is advised. Some details have been changed to protect the identities of victim survivors. Police have also obscured some methodologies used to catch child abuse perpetrators so as to not compromise ongoing investigations. It's December 2014. Task Force Argos is closing in on Kay. We can't share his online handle for legal reasons. He's a top contender for the worst of the worst of the Love Zone's 45,000 members. The kids in Kay's pictures are in extreme danger. A warning, his posts are extremely graphic. Was very excited to see me as I promised her ice cream. I wasted no time taking off her clothes and setting up the camera but she covered her face almost as if being filmed was worse than what I was actually doing to her. Kay is describing children so overpowered by the adult abuser that they comply with any instruction. Undercover investigator Libor Yock has seen this kind of behaviour many times. Because they've been groomed over such a long time, they believe that what's happening to them is normal, even though it might hurt them, even though they might feel it's not right. Yeah, a lot of the times they are crying and it's seriously distressing. It's an extreme example of what we now understand as coercive control. And that's probably even more serious when you see the amount of control where the child is pretty much like a puppet. Kay must be stopped. Argos has been tracking his movements all over the web and he's finally slipped up. Kay has revealed he's flying home to the United Kingdom for the holidays. Argos knows what day he lands, and they know the airline. Merry Christmas, Kay. I'm Akim Dev. This is The Children in the Pictures. Episode 7, A Perfect Match. It's a chilly winter's day at London's Gatwick Airport. Travellers are returning home to spend Christmas with their families. Arriving on an overnight flight from Malaysia is an unassuming young man. With his hair in a ponytail, he could be any backpacker coming home for the holidays. But as he walks off the plane, there's an unexpected welcoming party waiting for him. Argos have tipped off the police from the UK National Crime Agency, and the man in charge of child victim ID is a determined Glaswegian called James Trainer. Kay walks across the gangway. He comes off the plane, The officers identified themselves and he spoke very quietly and softly. Said that he was Richard Huckle. Richard Huckle is a 28-year-old British volunteer at orphanages across Malaysia. As Kay, he's been documenting the abuse of children on the love zone. And now, here he is, in the flesh. 
bearing in mind we're reading about this sadistic, evil, angry person that hates everyone. And when the officers arrested him, he almost fainted. Uh, and in fact, the officers had to hold him and stop him from falling on the floor. And actually, I actually remember the public came over and asked if he was okay. So it, it was very much in contrast to what he portrayed to who he was. But was that a mask he was wearing? Was he looking for a sympathy foot? Was he looking for us to go easy on him? Huckle is already an enigma, and it's James Trainer's job to sit down with him and try and get to the bottom of what makes him tick. I've met many people in my life. There was no one like, like him. He was extremely odd um, and not a nice person to be around. It, just sitting in a room with him was quite uncomfortable. He was not the type of person you would ever, ever speak to in, in a real-life environment outside of a police station, you know. Was, uh, everything about him was strange. There was nothing there that you could like. Huckle's not giving away anything. He's going to do everything he can to slow the investigation down. So he, he refused to answer any questions that the officers put to him. And even though some of the evidence that we found online, we were able to show him and speak about what he had said and some of the degrading and abhorrent phrases he used to describe these children, he still refused to assist in the investigation. We had a a forensics expert with us at the police station and we forensically examined the devices that he had in his possession and we saw that there was encryption on his computer. So we tried to break the encryption on the day, uh, but we needed more time. With Huckle's computer locked down, the British police don't have enough evidence to hold him in custody. So they release him on the condition that he lived with his parents, but still consider him under investigation. The police continue to do their best to crack his encrypted drives in order to discover the identity of his victims. Detective Sergeant James Trainer stays in touch with Huckle's distraught parents. The son they thought they knew was a devout Christian who started working in his gap year with underprivileged kids. A volunteer dedicated to helping poor communities. But then, Huckle admits the awful truth of his crimes to his mother. And his mother, being a good person, knew that actually she didn't want Huckle to be under her roof. She didn't want to support someone who was a child abuser. And the police were called and were asked to remove him from the house and put him somewhere else. And mum provided a statement to help in the prosecution and which must have been one of the hardest things she's ever had to do in her life. I'd hate to imagine what it would be like for a parent to have their son arrested for such crimes. You know, they had brought up this young man that they thought was a good man, doing the right thing and helping people, and here they are with information from the police that, in real terms, their son is a monster. And then, Police cracked the encryption of one of the hard drives he's carried back from Malaysia. It reveals the deliberate, systematic mind of a fiend. Following all the image leads, there are estimates K may have abused up to 200 children. 
he kept a meticulous diary of his abuse and he called it a pedal ledger. And what he did is he recorded every single time he did or saw anything sexual with a child. So he would, he would record the date, the time, and the location, and the child that he abused and how old the child was. And he would even record things. In one, he sat on a bus and he saw a lady change a baby's nappy. And he recorded that as a point of child abuse because he looked at a naked baby. So for the whole of his life, he recorded everything everything that he believed was sexual relating to a child. And when you're looking at hundreds of thousands of images, over 20,000 of them indecent, that's a big task. That's a huge amount of work for any organization because every single piece of evidence, every single image has to be forensically examined to prove that he committed the offences that he said on the ledger that he committed. The drive reveals the horror of Huckle's plans, including his grandiose notion of creating a website to sell child abuse material online. He wanted to use a crowdfunding platform to finance his travels and crimes. So he, he even said online that I need to make money from this because I'm giving this away for free. Um, how do I monetize it? And one of those ways was, you know, what he called was pedal funding, was getting paid to release the new videos that he had done. And we certainly followed that and followed that behavior and looked at the posts and the area in which he started to post his videos. And we saw that he went on there very quickly and came off very quickly. He got 44 pounds in real money. Fortunately, the other members of the Love Zone found the idea far-fetched, or perhaps just ahead of its time. All throughout his capture, interrogation, and subsequent trial, Huckle shows no remorse for his crimes. I think he thought there was some way that he was not going to be convicted of this. He'd certainly pushed his defence team to actively act on his behalf to make the prosecution prove their case. You know, we had to work extremely hard to prove the case. To any normal person, if your hard drive is taken and you have all of, the, of those images and the ledger on your hard drive with images from places where you've lived and children from which you have posted normal pictures of them on your social media account, a normal person would probably say, you know what? This isn't worth fighting. But Richard Huckle wasn't a normal person. And we had to prove every single piece of that case. While he's in jail awaiting his trial, Huckle reaches out to a former friend. This is uh, Richard. Um, just to let you know, I'm still remanded in prison, but I've been transferred to HMP Belmarsh now. And uh, if you still want to keep in touch, then just send me a letter sometime. As always, Huckle is only interested in what Huckle needs. And right now, he's desperate for friendship as the evidence mounts against him. The challenge for police is to mount a watertight case, while at the same time, sparing his young victim survivors 
the stress of testifying before a British court. It takes an unprecedented and meticulous forensic investigation to assemble all the evidence taken from the love zone, or TLZ. We were using specialists to even look at vein patterns on the back of his hands and say that that hand abusing that child was Richard Huckle. We were looking at information from his camera to match up the camera with the photographs that were posted not only on TLZ, but also on other social media sites to say that that camera was used to take that image. For him, there was just nowhere to run. And Trainer's team gets kudos from the judge for their care and consideration of the child victims. You're taking a major risk not interviewing children and asking them to give evidence against someone. But what we had seen is that we had the evidence. We had it in front of us. What more could we possibly get from a child when we already had a ledger, date and time, place and location, and the child's name? What more do you need? And that really was the final curtain. He then puts his hands up and says, right, I think I've got to plead guilty here. Richard Huckle's trial finishes like a grotesque version of The Wizard of Oz. We peer behind the curtain and discover the booming voice of Kay online is actually a pathetic and depraved human being. While Argos is proud that another extreme predator has been taken out, the sheer extent of Huckle's crimes make any celebrations feel hollow. Paul Griffiths. It was probably the scale of it more than anything else that confronted people so much. The numbers of victims was just huge. I think he was actually prosecuted for about 23 different victims, but the estimation was that he probably had upwards of 200 different victims. People need to be aware of what happens. You know, I don't think hiding it does anybody any good. It doesn't serve anybody's purpose really hiding it other than the offenders. Um, people need to understand exactly the level of abuse that we're talking about. And in Huckle's case, it was huge. Richard Huckle was sentenced to 22 life sentences for his crimes. But in the end, he only saw out three years. One of Britain's worst paedophiles has been stabbed to death in prison. Richard Huckle, who was from... In October 2019, Huckle was found dead in his cell in a Yorkshire prison. A sadistic sex offender, Paul Fitzgerald, tortured and sexually abused Huckle before killing him. If there's anything to salvage from Kay's horrific story, it's this. The year after Huckle was sentenced, Malaysia passed a law on sexual offences against children and set up a court to deal with cases of child sexual abuse more quickly. A small win, too late for Huckle's victims. The Love Zone sting is leading to other arrests around the globe. This is a critical part of the operation. It was a Queensland police operation that helped identify 30-year-old Richard Huckle. That same operation has also helped jail five other men, including South Australian Shannon McCool, who was sentenced to 35 years in prison last year. Four other men have also been convicted and two men have committed suicide. At least six more are still being investigated. Victim ID specialist Paul Griffith still wants to rescue more children and pull more criminals from the network. 
but it's becoming harder to maintain the illusion that all is well and convince members that Ski is still in charge. People were getting a little bit concerned about whether or not something had happened or whether or not they should be concerned about their own safety. And, you know, it was always, all of that was a little bit difficult for us to manage because obviously, you know, we're performing a fairly delicate balancing act there of trying to stop as much material being produced as we can. And certainly that was why we shut down the producers zone on the site, but also trying to capture as much information about those users as we could to try and identify as many of them as we could as well. For undercover agent Libor Yock, the Love Zone investigation has blown out to 16 months of relentless undercover work. It's been round-the-clock reading and watching thousands of posts, downloading terabytes of images, watching videos for clues, viewing things he can never, ever forget. After working in the field and especially after ski, I would be very aware of... uh, how I treat my kids in public. I would be very aware of every other father and how they behave with their kids. And I would be trying to identify pedophiles. A lot of behaviors I saw I did not think acceptable. And I must say that I probably ended up being very reserved with my own kids, very to point of being detached a bit because it just didn't feel right. After years of running Argos, boss John Rouse knows firsthand this is a job that lives inside your head all hours of the day. You take this home. I've been taking this home for my last 26 years. You've got to recognise that that can have broader impacts on your family and your friends, um, you go down some pretty dark tunnels and, you know, people will wonder why you're suddenly, you've, you've gone very quiet. So from a management perspective, you've got to be aware of those things. And I certainly was because I was a covert, I was an undercover operative. I did deal as a child sex offender in child sex offender communities. So I think it's, for me, it was very helpful having walked that path that I understood what they were going through. I don't think it's any kind of exaggeration to say that this has got to be the toughest job in policing. Most cops see terrible things, right, from road carnage to murders. But as one police officer put it to me, at least in homicide, the crime comes to an end. But this is different. It's as one investigator said, there are certain things you just cannot unsee. This material, uh, it burns your soul. These are the most evil images that mankind can produce. Dr Michael Burke, the former chief psychologist for the US Marshal Service, has spent most of his career working with two kinds of people, child abuse perpetrators and the police officers who investigate their crimes. It is probably one of the most psychologically challenging domains to enter as an investigator. And it's extremely hard to put that down and turn the lights out and lock the door and go home. It's a, it's a very draining, very difficult aspect of law enforcement. What do you need? What, what does it take to be one of those guys? We're still learning, unfortunately, the hard way uh, about what it takes to be a child abuse investigator, a child exploitation investigator. They all have their challenges. The folks that are working online 
are really uh, pickled in depravity. And they are putting themselves in the mind of the offender in a way that other detectives and agents don't have to do. They are being evil. It's toxic. And they've got to jump in and immerse themselves in that toxicity and then try to get out. And for Argos, it might be time to do just that. It's December 2014. With 40 key targets around the world arrested, the decision is finally made to shut down the love zone. John Rouse and the Argos team have successfully uprooted one of the most dangerous child abuse networks ever uncovered. What we started out with was a network that was run by child sex offenders that we had infiltrated at a, at a, a VIP level. By the time we closed that operation, we held practically every key administrative position in the network and those administrative positions were held and appointed to law enforcement agencies around the world. So we moved from a child sex offender network administering a very big network of offenders to law enforcement administering a very large group of sex offenders. You know, you can't get them all. We've got, a, we've got quite a few of them, but you can't get them all and they're on boards now, still talking. You know, we've, we've achieved our mission. We rescued a lot of children. We took out a lot of key players. We sent a pretty strong message out to that community of offenders that they're not beyond law enforcement reach. The TLZ takedown is reverberating through other child abuse boards on the dark web, but it was impossible for Argos to arrest them all. Libor reads a post from a TLZ member, one that got away. And the message says, yep, TLZ has been taken over. It has been run for six months by police. Ski is a police officer. And then there was a, like a last line from this Kudos to you, feds. I was talking to Ski for six months and I had no idea. Come at me, bro. So uh, <laughs> it's uh, in a way, it's like a better than getting a tap from your boss. You know, if they say, oh, yeah, that was great. Libor had been great at Ski. He'd assumed the role of a predator perfectly. So as weird as it sounds, getting kudos from the perpetrators you've deceived is the highest form of praise. A lot of times people say that um, when they feel the most insane, they feel like they're living a double life. Mm. You were living a double life. Yeah. So did you feel insane? Did you feel like you're losing your mind? Well, afterwards, yeah. <laughs> Not at the time, no. And then when you sort of realise that you're really, really so deep, then you just like, this is really, really f- effed up. This is, you're, you're really heading to somewhere where you don't want to be. I reckon when I'm headed somewhere bad mentally, it's hard to keep the other parts of your life afloat. So after this operation, I pretty much nearly lost it. <laughs> For me, it's in a way, it unraveled. So I went and got uh, counselling. Uh, I've got divorced. I lost pretty much everything. Libor gave everything he had as an undercover officer for Argos. 
But to put his life back together, he had to step away from the task force. I've left the unit uh, trying to sort of get on straight ground. I just couldn't. And a lot of people would say, oh, it's, you know, like because of the material or it was more because of the pressures of the work. Like the results were great, but you just can't do it forever. And the truth is, you can't. I know now that hearing about this material, the abuse, these online communities that thrive in the darkness, can become too much. When I was researching this crime, I was also raising two young daughters, a teenager and a toddler. And slowly, the work began to leave scars. One of the first things I noticed was I started having what I can only describe as oral hallucinations. I'd be sitting in front of a loud television watching the football. We had a young child at the time and I could not hear her crying in her cot. It was almost like the sound of her in distress I'd associated with the sound of those children being abused. And something in my mind, I think it was almost like a protection mechanism, had switched on where I just couldn't hear my child crying. And then over a period, it started getting worse. I couldn't enjoy simple things like taking my kid to the kids' pool. I'd be filled with this... with just this sense of grief that there were people out there that would want to cause any children harm. And I found myself being really disconnected and having the inability to be present in my child's life. It was almost like this accumulative effect and I had no release valve. One day I was in the living room and all I can remember is feeling this incredible sense of pressure building up in my head. And the next thing I know, I was just curled up in a ball, shaking. My doctor described it as a seizure. Now, my research was nothing compared to going undercover as a predator, like Libor did. But that didn't make me immune. How you been, anyway? Oh, yeah. Busy. I've known Libor for years now. It's June 2022, and we're catching up via a video call while I'm travelling overseas. It feels like enough time has passed to get a broader perspective on what we've been through and why it took us so long to work out the impact it was having. The work just took over and I just didn't think of it in the terms I'm thinking of it now. I just thought everything is fine. Like That's what sacrifices have to be made, but everything is fine. Everything is going to go fine. And only afterwards you just realise like that it's too far and you can't actually sort of put stop to it and it's just like a runaway train in a way. Like it's just, you know, it's gone. I mean, don't be too hard on yourself, man. I mean, of, of course, if at the time, if you were, if you knew that it was happening, like uh, once again, I know, I know what you're talking about. Um, you know, I ended up making a documentary, but my marriage didn't survive. Um, you know, it took its toll. But right now, how are you feeling? bringing all this back up again. Yeah, good. I mean, I had uh, time to reflect and get through it. And, uh, yeah, I think I'm sort of balanced in a way. Uh, But I'm I'm sort of thinking I just made it out. Uh, In a way, like, 
I can't compare it to, let's say, uh, soldiers or something, you know, like when you get scarred from battle, that's permanent, sort of, you're missing limbs and stuff, but I'm not the same person. But uh, I think I'm I'm okay with it. That's the problem with video is that you actually, you know, you hear the children scream. You know, there's, there's things that will never leave you, ever. Argos boss John Rouse has been in this game for nearly three decades. He's seen what kind of an impact undercover work can have on his investigators. It's this interesting thing about law enforcement. You know, you're, you're supposed to be these big, brave heroes that are bulletproof and you turn up at whatever scene it is and you sort it out and get on to the next job. But what people don't recognise is the vicarious trauma that builds up over many years. We're, we're not bulletproof. You take this stuff home. In Libor's situation and, and indeed in some other of our investigators' cases, they've got young kids at home. So you're, you're seeing horrendous crimes in many cases happen against children that are the same age as your children. John's been through it himself. He started his career investigating child abuse just as he became a new parent. And back then, in the 80s, there wasn't much understanding about what enormous impact this work can have. But times have changed. It's recognised it has the propensity to cause some pretty immense psychological harm. So self-awareness, recognising that it is causing that, is fundamental. And we've always and always will maintain that step away any time that you want to step away. Um, Nobody's making any of us do this work, but we also have to recognise that it does cause harm. And psychological frameworks across the country for investigators have been put in place the opportunities for help are there. But one of the things, Dev, that's interesting is that, you know, it's people, in many cases, they don't want to stop doing the work because you feel like you are doing a lot of good. There's no doubt the Love Zone investigation produced results. Over 200 targets have been referred to law enforcement agencies around the world. Over 100 children have been rescued. And in the aftermath, there's plenty of blame to go around. In South Australia especially, where Ski, Shannon McCool, lived, the community was shocked that a man like him had been employed by the state and allowed to care for its children. A state royal commission was established in 2014. South Australia's opposition has called for the Premier Jay Wetherill to resign in the wake of a damning royal commission that's found the state's child protection system in disarray. Shannon McCool was jailed for three decades, described by the judge as a worldwide evil like he'd never seen before. The following year, Shannon McCool finally faced justice. Despite that, he told the court he wants to work with teenagers who are confused about their sexuality when he's released. It's just hard to comprehend. McCall wants to work with children. He actually thinks he'd ever be allowed to work with children again. And this was Judge Paul Rice's response. And I quote, One of the most remarkable submissions laid on your behalf is that when you are eventually released, you wish to work with young people who may have pedophilic tendencies like you did, so as to help them. Knowing what I do about your offending, It is fanciful in the extreme for you to contemplate 
that you may be permitted to work with young people ever again. Judge Rice sentenced McCall to a non-parole period of 28 years. It's 2022. McCool is seven years into his sentence. Our lawyers are fronting a South Australian court. They're asking that we be allowed to tell the story you're listening to, in full, because for years, a suppression order has forbidden the media from mentioning the Love Zone or telling you anything about McCool's online alias, Ski. The fear was that, as the site was potentially still accessible, It could allow people to search for it and lead them into the dark. The court proceedings are online, over video link. Each lawyer's name appears in their own box. The judge, Judge Durant, begins. He says, I'm just going to take a moment to explain to Mr McCool why it is he's on the screen, because he may not be aware of what this is all about. And there he is. Shannon McCool appears in a small grey booth, wearing a green prison uniform. He's got short hair, good posture. He started balding since he went to prison, but he looks healthy. The judge explains that the suppression order existed because the Love Zone was a live website, but it no longer is. He asks McCool, Do you have anything to say? about what's proposed. McCool starts talking. He speaks slowly and clearly. He sounds articulate, confident even, as if he's just another one of the lawyers on the video link. He calls the judge. Your Honour. McCool says the concern he has about the love zone is, quote, It will lead to how to access any other sites that are out there of the same topics. I know that's a method that people use to search for the older ones, to find the newer ones. He's saying people will be able to find new live child abuse sites if they try and look up the love zone. McCool goes on. He says, Pertaining to me, Your Honour, I don't think it would affect, but that would be a concern that I'd have. In other words, I'm not worried about the impact on me. I'm just thinking about people being able to find new child abuse websites. The judge thanks him. He confirms with the other lawyers that child exploitation material is, whether you know about the love zone or not, quote, unfortunately readily searchable on the internet with effort and persistence. And maybe not so much effort and persistence. After seven short minutes, the judge says, We're going to adjourn now, Mr McCool. So you will be out of the suite shortly. Thank you, Your Honour, McCall says, and the video link ends with him standing shoulders straight in that tiny lit-up grey booth. McCall's words run around in my head, saying he was concerned about other people being able to find child abuse websites, telling the judge at his original sentencing about wanting to help young pedophiles avoid offending in the first place. Is this real remorse? Could it be the start of genuine rehabilitation? John Rouse has thought a lot about this. He's worked on thousands of cases with perpetrators like McCool, 
So he's under no illusion about the chances of stopping convicted sex offenders from wanting to hurt kids again. I've spoken to some pretty good criminal psychologists because they don't understand it either. These people are just wired that way. There is nothing you can do that will correct their behaviour. They are what they are. You can put them through sex offender treatment programs, you can do whatever you want. They'll jump up and down on one leg and bark like a dog if you want to, to get back out. And, you know, they will continue for the rest of their life to be a risk to the community. To have any hope in stopping them, John says, the answer is to reach potential offenders before they even begin, through genuine treatment programs. We need to start investing in early intervention. When people identify that they have a sexual interest in children, they need to have the opportunity to reach out for help. So when they reach out for help at the moment in Australia, they end up into rabbit holes like Tor, and they find communities that think the way that they do, and that takes them down a very dark path that actually um, legitimises and supports what they're doing. So alternate strategies to like the Stop It Now program, for example, uh, where they can actually question their sexual interest and get help to hopefully never act out on that interest is, is fundamentally important. The idea of offering help to people who are sexually attracted to children might make us feel squeamish. But as John says, it's better than the alternative. But we also have to face reality. Many perpetrators will never seek help. In fact, They're only finding better ways of concealing themselves in their crimes. Adele Desir has witnessed this firsthand over the years at Interpol HQ. Police forces around the world share a huge influx of material with the International Child Sexual Exploitation Database, ICSA, all in the hope of identifying new victims. We were charged with um, triaging a lot of material that had been um, seized from various arrests in various countries. Huge amounts of material, uh, most of it unseen, new child abuse, most of them quite clever, hiding clues. And um, I would say what was pretty shocking about it is the level of sophistication that most of these uh, producers had. They had really um, hidden uh, most of the clues that could lead to a potential location. Next time on The Children in the Pictures, while perpetrators learn to hide their tracks, the next frontier of online child abuse is already here. The smartphone, social media and selfies. Our kids are being blackmailed. We've had children, six-year-olds, who have been playing uh, video games and have been groomed through the video game on a phone to make nude images of themselves. And Argos show us how international unrest is creating more victims. Russia has launched a special military operation in Ukraine. Oh, my God, so many kids are going to be abused. Oh, my God, yeah, really, I think we all had that thought. Unfortunately, in our world, that's what we see all the time. And finally, do you know how to have the talk with your kids? The how to stay safe online talk. Speaking of which, I mean, you know, like, you're cool now, you're 22, you're out of the woods. What are we going to do with your little sister? This podcast is dedicated to all victims and survivors of sexual crimes against children and those that stand against the sexual exploitation of children. 
If you know a child in immediate danger, please contact police. Call triple zero. For non-urgent police assistance, contact 131 4. If you need immediate support, contact the Kids Helpline on 1800 55 1800 or Lifeline on 13 11 14. For more information and help, go to childreninthepictures.org or head over to the ACE site, the Australian Centre to Counter Child Exploitation, acce.gov.au. This podcast is a listener production made by the Factual Original Podcast team. Head of Factual and Drama for Listener Original Podcasts is Jennifer Goggin. Co-produced in collaboration with DNX Media. Produced and reported by me, Akim Dev, and Simon Nasht. Sound design, composition, and audio production by Darcy Thompson. Production assistance and theme composition by Matthew Dwyer. Additional audio production by Michael Letho. Our series producer is Romy Scher. Fact check by Bonnie Lavelle. Factual original podcast executive producers are Belinda Lopez and Emma Lancaster. Queensland Police were consulted for this production. Thanks to Argos and the other global child protection agencies who shared their stories with us. Special thanks to Dr. Asa Kasbaum and Dr. Jacqueline Goldstein for their guidance and expertise. And if you're concerned about your own thoughts and feelings or behaviours towards children, there is support. Stop It Now is an anonymous Australian helpline that aims to support adults who have sexual thoughts about children to prevent offending. The helpline is also for parents, professionals, family and community members who come across child sexual abuse. If you're worried about an adult or young person's sexual behaviour offline or online, you can call the anonymous helpline on 1-800-01-1800 or use a live chat or secure messaging service. To find out more, head to stopitnow.org.au.